Turn to Revelation 21, please. It's the holy city, New Jerusalem, the bride. And that's taken right from verse number 2 of Revelation 21. The holy city, New Jerusalem, the bride. This is Sermon 38 in the Revelation series. Uh, and we'll deal with verses 1 through 4. And so let's read them together. I'll read them to you. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, or the tabernacle, of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I hope we'll see tonight some of the great privileges of this passage and see the Old Testament prophecies that lead us to this passage. Now, as you recall, this has been a series that stopped and started a few times, so it's easy to forget where we were. Where we ended with is... Um, the judgment before the great, great white throne. And of course, the books are opened and the book of life. Those that were in the book of life, um, you know, it was glorious that uh, heaven awaited. Uh, those that were not thrown into the lake of fire. We're going to see that lake of fire again uh, when we get to a verse, uh, well, about verse number eight. Uh, it's there again. So next week we'll be there, Lord willing. So we saw the great eternal separation of people of the world and the people of God. We say that it's taking place that way. Chapter 21 uses the imagery of a city as the city of God. But it's the city unlike any city we've ever seen. We're going to try to start opening that up tonight. And chapter 22 will use the imagery of a garden, just like the Garden of Eden, but far more glorious and far more developed than Eden ever was. So, a new heaven and a new earth, as we read. So, let's go to verse 1 first. Verse number 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. So, the first heaven, you know, and earth, were marred by Satan's rebellion and the sin of Adam and Eve. The sin attributed to Adam, who ate with knowledge and ruined the perfection of the original creation, which God had already proclaimed as very good. It was Satan who tempted Eve, God her husband to eat. And we don't have to worry about a repeat of that event. That's why I bring it up. It's not going to happen again. For Satan and his host have been cast into the lake of fire. And then it says there was no more sea. And remember, in the Bible as a whole, the sea is considered a dangerous place. The sea is a place of chaos. The sea is a place of rebellion. Uh, the beast who was empowered by the dragon, uh, well, rose out of the sea. This is just an example from the book of Revelation. But let's not forget this. In the original creation, as God made in, verse, in, in day three, he made the seas, the oceans, the seas, and it was very good. It wasn't a place of rebellion and chaos. It came out of chaos and, and became uh, what it should have been. And in day five, he fills it with creatures. 
Again, very good and, and the way that it should be. But when sin enters the world, the sea takes on this sinister and frightening character. Now, I asked myself the question, so I did some study. Is it literally true that there is no more sea in the eternal state? And um, the answer that I came up with, this is what I believe to be the case here, is that, yes, there will be water in the new heavens and the new earth. And the Bible does talk about crystal seas of glass. Okay. I think what we are talking about is the fact of chaos and sin and rebellion being gone. No more sea. And that's what we're talking about because the Lamb is the victor. No more chaos. No more fear. No more evil. These things are gone. Evil has been destroyed. Chaos is no more. There are no more enemies. There's none remaining. Christ has conquered them all. Verse number one. Verse number two. This is our second glimpse of the bride, and we're going to spend most of our time tonight. And I saw three descriptions here. The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have three descriptions here. The holy city, New Jerusalem, and a bride. And that's why I entitled my sermon that very thing. And this is our second glimpse of the bride that we've seen. And uh, we will see her again as we finish out the chapter when we get to verse number 9 to the end of the chapter. Uh, it'll be interesting as we see the imagery there and the temple and, and all the different things. The book of life will show up once again. Okay, that's a little bit ahead of us here, but that's where we're going. It's going to be given to us again. And uh, the bride is already been pictured to us. And this is a feature of Revelation that, that people forget about and get themselves confused. The book of Revelation loves to introduce something and then go back and introduce it again and then go back and explain it even more. Um, Babylon is, is a grand example of that. Chapter 14, we see Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And so you read and you go, oh, Babylon's gone. Okay. We don't even know what Babylon symbolizes yet, but it's gone, you know. And then we learn a little bit more about Babylon in, in chapter 16, and we see, hey, it's, it's wicked human society. It's society that's anti-God. It's societies that are against God, and they fall. And they always fall. They have to fall. And, and I love my country, but I'll tell you, we're going to fall. We keep going the direction we're going. We're going to fall. We have to. We have to. You can't go on forever. History itself would teach you that it can't go on forever. You know, overtaken by another country or falls from within. Has to happen. So let us pray that that doesn't happen. We love our country. We want to see uh, good for our country. But we can't continue down a road. And I don't even have to tell you what the road is like, but uh, stay away from Euclid Avenue. Uh, not next Saturday, but the Saturday after. And, and you'll see just an example of how far things are going down. Uh, the very boulevard that um, uh, often celebrates Christmas and, and Christ is going to celebrate the rainbow and transgender and, and all other sorts of things. It's, it's quite shocking to think that would happen in our city. Well, no, the Babylon will always fall. 
Babylon, 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 it falls. And it's wicked human society, either falling from without or falling from within, and ultimately it's God that causes it to fall. Well, we see the bride in chapter 19. So like I said, that's, that's just an example of repetition. Then we get to chapter 18, and Babylon is there for the entire chapter. So we have two verses, 14 in, in verse chapter 14, chapter 16, and then an entire chapter talking about the fall of wicked human society. Well, same thing happens with the bride. The bride was introduced to us in um, chapter 19, verse 6. You can just turn back a page to that. The bride of Christ. Chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So there we have the picture of the bride. And now here in chapter 21, we see the description of the bride in a different way, this time as a city, and uh, coming down from God, presented by God, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, being presented as a bride, you know. And then we'll see the bride again uh, in greater detail. Dimitri. It's God's people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation. And you might get tired of me repeating that so many times, but the Bible says it in, in chapter 5, verse 9. The Bible says it in chapter 7, verse 9, in this very same book of Revelation. God's people, Old Testament and New Testament, fully gathered together, they're called the bride. They're the prize. We're the prize. It's an amazing thing to think about. I don't consider myself much of a prize. I hope my wife would not agree with that. <laughs> but uh, I don't consider myself much of a prize. But God does. And the same with you, Christian friend. You're God's bride. And that's a wonderful thing. God's people together called the bride. God's people forever freed from the sin that so easily besets us. And you want to know what the eternal state is like? I came across this. and This is really good. A friend of mine wrote uh, a two-volume commentary in the book of Revelation. And then he sent it to me. And the only thing he asked, and I want you to read it, but I, I want you to write an Amazon review for it. So I've been reading it. Got to write that review still. But um, great, great guy, Max Donner. And, and it's really a great book. It really is. It kind of came to me at the end of the Revelation series. But I've added it to my pantheon of books there uh, on Revelation. And I'm really enjoying it. But listen to what he says about this aspect of imagine living in a truly Christian city. This is a city without sin. Okay? And, and this is what the eternal state's going to be like. Living in a city without sin. Max's words. A city where there's no need for police, courts, or jails. Good thing you've already retired, Pastor Ken. Okay. <laughs> A city where there's no crime, fear, or violence. A city where there's no need for fences, locks, or alarms. A city where there's no discrimination between rich and poor or black and white. 
a city where there's no multiculturalism. Why? Because we're all the same. We're all God's people, brought together. A city where there's no multiculturalism, no persecution, and no divisions. A city where there's no politicians, no regulatory agencies, and no oppressive laws. He could have added no lawyers, but... Yeah. No. Okay. A city where everyone does the right thing all of the time in every circumstance. A city where everyone is patient, kind, understanding, and loving. A city where people care more about their neighbors than they care about themselves. A city where courtesy, selflessness, and serving others is the practice of every citizen. A city where there are no hospitals, doctors, or drugs. A city where there are no sirens, no screams for help, and no homeless people. A city where everyone is holy, happy, and God-centered. A city where the people of God is the chief activity, or sorry, a city where the worship of God is the chief activity and delight of all the people. And then he sums it up with this. Here in this heavenly society, People will live as God intended them to live before sin ever entered the human race. This is what the holy city looks like. But this city is not only called a holy city in verse 2, it's also called the New Jerusalem. And so that's what we'll look at next. The aspect of this holy city being called the New Jerusalem. You don't need to turn there, but um, it says in 2 Kings chapter 7, um, sorry, chapter 21, verse 7, at the end of verse 7, 2 Kings 21, 7. In this house and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. Forever. Now, I, I want you to think about that for a minute. Does God really mean that or not? Okay. Well, I know we have many friends who expect God to come and rebuild Jerusalem that is presently in Palestine. I don't look for that. You know, I, I believe what we talked about this morning, about uh, physical promises and spiritual promises. And I believe this would be fulfilled spiritually. You know, we look from the Bible for a holy city like Abraham did. We look for a city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's from Hebrews 11.10. The holy city is the new Jerusalem. And it's likely that the book of Revelation was written after 70 A.D. It can't be proven, but it's likely that was the case. But if not, and then it still would hold true. Old Jerusalem either was or will be overthrown by the Roman armies, as Jesus said it would be. And why? Well, because of the rebellion against Rome, true. But more importantly, because of their rejection of Jesus Christ as Messiah. An entire generation was given for them to accept Messiah, and thousands of them did. Many, many priests did. Old Testament priests now become New Covenant believers because they see it's the fulfillment of all the things that God said. But Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen that gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. It was destroyed. And the people in it were destroyed. Terrible, terrible tragedies. And there have been many, many tragedies for the Jewish people over the centuries since then. But I'm glad to tell you, there's many Jewish people that have turned to the Lord and seen him as the true Messiah. And uh, 
the Church of Jesus Christ, made up of Jew and Gentile alike. Now turn to Hebrews 12. You may want to keep a little bookmark in, in 20, chapter 21 here. We're going to be looking at a lot of verses uh, in other places, some in the Old Testament tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're on your phone, you can probably find it faster than everybody else. You could, you could cheat if you were doing a sword drill that we used to do when we were kids. You ever do a sword drill? One of those? Yeah, that's good for you, really. And to be able to find the things in the Bible as quickly as you possibly can. You know, you have to know your Bible well to do that. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 through 24. Now, this is written before the destruction of Jerusalem. I believe we can see internal evidence from the book of Hebrews that it was written before Jerusalem was destroyed because they talk about the sacrifices that are still going on. Well, that couldn't have happened after 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. And so the internal evidence tells us this is before 70 AD. Uh, so here, here's what it says. But you, talking to New Testament believers, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is what we see in Revelation 21 too. The, the new Jerusalem, called the heavenly Jerusalem here, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so we see Christ you know, being put forward as the mediator of the new covenant, of course, as he is. We also see him weeping over the city of Jerusalem because those were his kinsmen, and he knew the destruction that was going to come upon them. You know. The holy city, New Jerusalem, the bride. You know. Well, we've already seen her, and, and we will see her again. Um, in literature, in, in literature, we, we see a constant theme. There are, there are only so many stories you can have. Now, you might notice Hollywood's repeating itself and it's very rare something new comes out, you know. It's been that way for a long time. And of course in the Bible, the literature is true. It's, it's real, um, unless it's meant to be a parable. Well, there's a theme of a man, a hero, fighting and overcoming all obstacles to win his bride. And then they went happily ever after. Happily ever after. And that, that story is repeated in, in so many different ways. But the true story of that is the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. It's the true battle, the true wooing, the true fighting, and the true winning of the bride. And that's what Revelation's all about. When you come right down to it, that's really what the theme is all about. And Dennis Johnson, Dr. Dennis Johnson, another man, put it very poetically in this quote that sums up what I just said. He talks about the book of Revelation. And here we come to chapter 21. The blood and fire, locusts and smoke, falling stars, trembling earth, the dragon, the monsters, the scarlet woman, the whole terrifying conflict has been about the divine husband's jealous love for his bride, a love so jealous that he'll fight all comers in order to have her all to himself, a love so sacrificial that he lays down his life to protect her from every threat and enemy. It's well said. And that's what he's talking about here, about the bride. You know? 
The old covenant passed away. Old Jerusalem passed away. New Jerusalem has come in its place. When I say the old covenant passed away, that probably isn't quite fair. I probably would be a little more correct to say the old covenant having fulfilled what God intended for the old covenant to do, now the new covenant has come. I think that's probably a better way to put it. So, so you know, this whole idea exists there. And anyway, verse 3. Let's move to verse 3. Revelation 21, verse 3. We're moving pretty good here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, or, or actually literally the tabernacle, of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Dwelling place isn't a bad translation for tabernacle because that might make us think of the tabernacle tent in the wilderness, which was a picture of the heavenly dwelling. Um, so the tabernacle, very important, but the dwelling place of God is with man. Eden was a paradise where God walked with Adam. Later in Exodus, we do read of the tabernacle. And when we talk about God tabernacling with us, we're talking about God dwelling with us. God was with Israel in the wilderness. And the tabernacle sat in the middle of the people, surrounded by the Levites, first of all, and then surrounded by the tribes. And there, you've read it in the Old Testament, in the order that they are even given to, to surround the tabernacle. Okay. And God gave specific instructions on how to build this tent. You know, I started just to begin to take up a, a study. I don't know if anything will come of it, but taking up a study of the tabernacle to see what a lot of the symbolism has to do with and, and what God was actually showing us in that. And so I've just really begun. It's something I really haven't spent a lot of time looking at. But one of the first things I found that I thought was very, very interesting is uh, the pomegranates and and the fruit trees that uh, are so intricately involved in the, the tabernacle. It's a reminder of the garden that was lost by sin and the garden that will be reclaimed by God. Okay, so there's some simple things like that that we can see from the tabernacle if we look. And so I'm looking forward to studying a little bit more and we'll see where that goes. But, um, you know, there's a promise of a fruitful land more important than Canaan, a heavenly country, you know. So the intricate details of the dimensions and artistry of the tabernacle, we're going to see some intricate details of, of the heavenly city uh, when we get into the rest of Revelation 21. It's merely, the tabernacle in the wilderness was merely a faint echo of the reality to come in the new heavens and the new earth when heaven and earth become one and God dwells amongst his people who are no longer wanderers, but finally have come home. Now, turn to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65 is fulfilled in Revelation 21. And I think you'll see how that is as we read that passage together. Isaiah 65. I would be losing a sword drill tonight in the Bible I'm not as familiar with. <laughs> Isaiah 65, 
Verses 17 through 19. God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I'll rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. And that's talking about the fulfillment that we see in Revelation chapter 21. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37 is similar in many ways. Ezekiel 37, start in verse 24. And there's certain things that we, we have to know. Ezekiel's written well after the time of David. Okay. So when he talks about David, he's obviously talking about Christ. Now, David is dead and gone. Uh, we know from the sermon that we read in the book of Acts, um, it's actually used that way as proof that Jesus is Messiah, is that David was promised to rule over his people, and you say, the grave of David is right here, you know. But uh, he ever lives, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is King of kings and Lord of lords, the son of David. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to, their serv to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And, you know, if you're just reading things and taking it literally, um, I think you're missing out on what's really being meant here. Because obviously you can't take David literally, you know. And uh, I think with Revelation 21, we should see dwell in the land that I gave my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived, uh, should be the new Jerusalem. And uh, we should be the heavenly estate. And they and their children and the children's children will dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. And here's where the new covenant comes in. I'll make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I'll set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's covenant language. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. And of course, um, that often gets read, um, uh, you know, literally and thrown into a, a millennium, but I believe we are far better off to interpret it as the eternal state. The covenant of peace, the everlasting covenant, the new covenant, which was the goal of the covenant of redemption, fulfilled in the covenant of grace. And we talked about that this morning. Verse 3, back to chapter 21 again. Revelation 21. Well, in verse number three, let me read it again so we don't lose our place. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There's no doubt that's the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, So it's covenant promise of God. And uh, it's covenantal language. I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. It's put there again. It was there in Ezekiel. 
And uh, Psalm 100 verse 3 says, we are, He is our God, we are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. And so the covenant promise is made to the believing remnant of Israel in the Old Testament and all the members of the New Covenant, who all know the Lord, by the way, Jeremiah 31, 31. This is why idolatry, which we find throughout the Old Testament, even in Israel, was so heinous. Idolatry means that God is not your God. And it means idolaters are not his people. Idolaters are covenant breakers. And the Old Testament prophets warned and warned and warned. And so often their warnings went unheeded. Idolatry kept Israel from fully taking possession of the land that God gave them. God gave them all that he promised, as we saw. But um, they didn't take total control of it because they were idolaters. And they began to worship the gods of the people they were to conquer. They couldn't drive out the enemy and, and often became subject to them. And idolatry was the chief reason for the Babylonian captivity. And 70 years is the reason it lasted, because that was given the land of Sabbath rest that they had stolen from God. You know. So I'm going to conclude here with a great promise. And we'll go to the Lord's table. Verse 4. I'll read it again. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And you know as well as I wouldn't be shocked if some of you uh, shed a tear this very week. Wouldn't be shocked. You know? This is a world of tears. And uh, mourning, it, it's a world of mourning. It's a world of crying. It's a world of pain. There are people right now that are in t intense pain. They're living in intense pain. And, uh, well, you know, we have ways of dealing with pain, mostly drugs nowadays, you know. In the hospital, they'll shoot you up with morphine or something else like that, which is fine. The Bible talks about um, giving strong drink to those that are dying, you know. I mean, you know, there's no reason to suffer needlessly with pain if you don't have to. Well, it's a world of pain, and the former, it's part of the former things that have passed away in the eternal state. And we already dealt with the blessing of a city without sin. We already saw there was no more sea, no more chaos, no more sin, no more rebellion. And here are some more no mores, okay, that you see. And these things that have entered because of sin are now done away because sin is no more in the new Jerusalem, in the bride, and in the fully and finally sanctified people of God. And this is promised to us in the Old Testament. Uh, turn to Isaiah 25. A couple more scriptures from Isaiah. And then we'll go to the Lord's table. Isaiah 25. Verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he'll take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It'll be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Doesn't that sound a lot like what we're reading in Revelation 21? How about Isaiah 35, 10? Flip over there. 
Isaiah 35, 10. Isaiah 35, 10, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You see, practically everything in the book of Revelation comes from the Old Testament. And so a proper reading of the Old Testament helps us to understand the book of Revelation. An improper reading of the Old Testament taking spiritual things literally causes us well, a massive confusion and even disappointment with the truth of the matter. And so we see the book of Revelation being a very helpful guide to help us understand the Old Testament too, for it explains so many of these things that are there. When the first heaven and the first earth pass away, all death, sorrow, crying, and pain pass away. They pass away and they can never return. They can never return. Satan's been cast into the lake of fire. The redeemed of the Lord have been absolutely fully sanctified. They are now holy. There's no sin in the redeemed of God. And they live in heaven forever, worshiping the Lamb and all the wonderful things I'd I said that our brother Max Donner said about the city without sin. There's no more curse. And as Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. And we'll have the presence of God and the absence of the curse. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we could have gone on, but verses 5 through 8 are so rich and full in themselves that we feel it deserves their own treatment. So, Lord, I pray we can take something away today. I, think, I pray that we can take something away of, of the glorious future that awaits those. This is about the best glimpse we can possibly see of what heaven is really like. People think heaven is clouds and harps and floating and, and ultimately boring. And such is not the case. We'll be very, very busy living with God and serving Him and worshiping Him and glorifying Him and no longer hindered by the things that we feel. Uh, really, as we get toward older age, we can feel even the physical aspects that hold us back and cause us problems as we get out of bed in the morning and such. But Lord, these things will be gone in our glorified bodies, able and willing, willing and able and absolutely able to worship You in true holiness. Lord, we look forward to that day. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, or entered into the heart of man the things that you have prepared for those that love you. This is very, very true. And so we're giving them in signs and symbols, but Lord, they're going to be greater than we can even imagine. It's going to be more wonderful than we think that it is. We're going to actually live in the way that we were intended to live before sin entered this world. It's going to be a glorious eternity, Father. We thank you for that. We pray for those that do not know, know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. We pray that you would work in their hearts and, and turn them to yourself, Father, for the alternative that they face is anything but the glorious future that uh, we've just read about. So, Lord, glorify your Son. May Jesus Christ be praised. And we thank you for your love, grace, and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.